The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about B2B marketing as it exists in 2022. Joining us is Michael McLaren, who is the global CEO of Merkle B2B, which is a data-driven customer experience management company purpose-built to help companies succeed in today's dynamic B2B environment. With over a 1,000 hardworking individuals across the globe, Merkle B2B brings together the most effective B2B capabilities and competencies to architect modern-day customer experiences. And today, Michael and I are going to discuss the rise of the millennial B2B decision-maker. All right, here's my conversation with Michael McLaren, the global CEO of Merkle B2B. Michael, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Thanks, Ben. It's great to be here. Excited to have you on the show and to talk a little bit about B2B marketing this week. We're going to start off with who's in charge. We're kind of getting out of the area where the old gray hairs are running the marketing department. The kids are taking over, the millennials. That's very true. It's not your grandfather's B2B, that's for sure. We're seeing the increasing influence of millennials and Gen Zs in the B2B buying process. And they're there both in terms of influence, but increasingly in terms of buying power. So they're becoming increasingly significant. There's an increasing importance to their role in the B2B purchase process. I remember when I was 24 years old or so, I was living in Dallas, Texas. I was working a low to entry level job and me and all my friends were scraping together our shekels and pesos to try to buy some light beer and have a good time on the weekend. And this is back when people used to read magazines. And I remember there was a Time magazine cover that said, Millennials, when will they grow up? And it was a 25-year-old man in his childhood bedroom with his mom tucking him into bed with the (laughs) picture on the front of the the magazine. And I was so offended because (laughs) I think I'm on the border of millennialness. I was born in 1980. Not to date myself, but I'm going to date myself. And the idea was we were the generation or millennials were the generation that wouldn't grow up, that wouldn't leave mom and dad's house. Now, nobody mentioned that we were riddled with college debt and that the job market wasn't great when we graduated. Now, all of a sudden, hey, we're in charge of B2B businesses. So are you finding that 
People are taking their Zoom conferences from their childhood bedroom at their parents' place? Or <laughs> did the average millennial move out, get some roommates? Where do millennials stand these days? How do you think about the millennial buyer? Well, I think they're very savvy, very smart, and uh, very demanding. I think the data is showing us that it's a cohort that brings new expectations to their engagements with B2B brands. And a lot of those expectations are being informed by their experiences as consumers. This is a generation who largely grew up with all the digital tools at their disposal, certainly from teenage on. So they've been used to a mobile first, digital first kind of immersive experience that they have with different brands. And I think they're bringing that expectation with them increasingly to how they want to do business as they move through their careers. So that's one big change. And I think it's a significant difference. You know, the idea of a, of a digital native versus a digital migrant, someone who's immersed in all the tools and they're familiar with navigating digital ecosystems. They're familiar with searching for content. They're familiar with screening things that are not relevant to them and very frankly adept at it. So I think it's a really interesting audience. They're certainly not slackers, which is often how they've been painted by in the media. That's definitely not our experience. They're savvy, smart, and quite sophisticated. Mom, if you're listening, we're not slackers. We're savvy. <laughs> we're smart. We're sophisticated. All words that start with an S. You mentioned the difference in not only the research, but buying behaviors of millennials. Uh, it's not a salesman knocking on their door trying to sell them a vacuum cleaner. It's not a conference and cocktails. It's a website. It's content that's found in a search engine. Does that mean that millennial decision makers are less interested in personal relationships? When you think about what actually drives consideration, is it all fact-finding and digital content, or is there still a personal aspect to reaching millennial decision makers? There absolutely is. I think the big difference, and Forrester have published quite a bit of content on this, is the self-directed journey, right? So what we're discovering, and we've got empirical data behind this, is that the millennial buyer is moving deeper into the purchase process under their own steam, using their own kind of tools before they're identifying themselves to the company that they want to do business with. And this is a really important difference. So Ultimately, some of these purchases are significant in terms of total dollar value. I mean, there's kind of bet your career type of aspects of some of these big B2B decisions that are really significant. So there's going to always be a role for an engagement with a sales professional, understanding the T's and C's, understanding the kind of scope of the acquisition, the purchase that's being made, the business requirements. So there's still that interaction that goes on but it happens later in the process than it does with a baby boomer type of audience. And I think what it means is that today's B2B brand needs to have the means of helping that millennial buyer navigate to get what they need easily. So the search engine should be optimized to the content that they're searching for. The digital experience when they find that content should be intuitive, easily navigable, they should be able to do things like customer references, competitive price checks, sometimes provisioning from the website, like actually draw down a trial, get on a chat with a professional from the organization. So 
they're looking to use all the tools of the trade to help their self-directed journey to find what they need. Because the B2B purchase is following a similar pattern as it did 50 years ago. Like you start with the requirements, you do a needs assessment, you do a search of what your options are, you create kind of a short list, you build a proof of concept, you then build a recommendation, you build a financial model. So this process, this purchase process, those core steps haven't changed, but the way the buyer goes about navigating that process has changed fundamentally. And what's interesting is the pandemic has accelerated some of these changes that were underway anyway. So all of a sudden, big events just dropped off the map. They'd stopped happening. On-site sales visits in many, many organizations were canceled. They wouldn't allow sales representatives to come onto their site. And so almost by necessity, B2B brands have had to really pivot into these digital tools. But the companies that were already on that track and understanding how to weave data into their digital experiences have really sort of taken a leapfrog advantage from the changes that have been accelerated by the pandemic. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. When you think about the buyers, where my head goes to is, all right, I'm a millennial. I'm now 35, 36 years old, and I'm out at Coachella or whatever millennial buyers who are in decision-making power do on the weekend. (laughs) And I've got my iPhone and I need to buy $200,000 of B2B software. So I went on a G2 and I crowdsourced some reviews of different products. I looked at features. I did some Google searching. I found the website. I read through all the specs. I added everything into my cart because everything has to go through e-commerce, but I want to make sure that I get it right. And now I'm going to bring someone else into the process to validate that I'm getting what I should be getting. Am I being too imaginative here with how the buying process goes? You know, is it all festivals and iPhones or? You're really not. I mean, there's obviously a dollar threshold as you move up the stack. 
So if you're buying a million dollars worth of kit, there's going to be sort of more vigilant diligence being done. But no, the scenario you just outlined is a very real scenario. I think that buyers are feeling more confident in their ability to sort of take themselves through that journey. And the scenario you just outlined, if you're sitting listening to it, the question that the marketer needs to ask themselves is, is our content discoverable in those environments? Do we create single click opportunities to go through to a transaction experience? You know, can I buy from a social media engagement? Can I buy from a distributed platform that I'm going in to get peer reviews? So this is a real change to the traditional model of go in there, write up on the paper order, build a PO, you know, like all of the digital transformation efforts that are going on inside big B2B businesses and frankly, medium and small businesses is quite profound. But the scenario you just outlined is not in any way fanciful. What I'm hearing from you is it's going to be the Salesforce Sahara tent at Coachella next year because (laughs) the B2B marketers are going to need to start to get a little bit more creative in reaching millennials. Now, when you think about the decision-making power going to the next generation, we're sort of in this first wave of digital natives, but then following closely behind what is it, Gen Z now? I, I think I'm technically a Gen X or a millennial, but then the next one is the Gen Z. Yep. You know, are we seeing Gen Zs start to get into the director level? You know, where's their decision-making power and what's the difference between the millennial generation, the first digital natives, and then the second generation of digital natives? Well, I think what's interesting is if you think of the evolution of business in today's environment, you've got a lot of startups And there's these discontinuities happening in every industry, businesses that are emerging that are digital at the core, businesses that are emerging that are direct to customer businesses. So they're almost digital shop fronts. So in any vertical industry that you care to mention, I can think about competitors that are trying to enter and really create a complete discontinuity in the market. A lot of those businesses are being driven and formed and founded and thrust into the competitive landscape by Gen Z. So obviously, in a traditional business, a Gen Z, just by virtue of experience and tenure, is probably at that director level, you know, sort of line of business manager kind of role. But there's so many different business models in emerging today that you can't just bucket them into that, right? It's like, I'm a professional, I have expectations of how I want to deal with brands, and I will find the brands that suit me, that are going to serve me with what I want, they're going to treat me the way I want, and whether you're the founder or the line of business manager, it almost doesn't matter. That attitude is what plays out. Yeah, you know, there's another component to this as we get towards the generational shift used to be white guys, cocktails, cigars, and handshakes. And now we're talking about decision makers that have a different priority set. It's not the good old boys network, and it is a much more culturally diverse. It's also a more gender diverse set of decision makers. How has that affected B2B marketers, the sort of reprioritization of gender and race as it comes to B2B decision makers? 
I'm really glad you raised this one. I think it's becoming more and more important. And indeed, we have data that suggests that the values alignment, the whole thought of does this business align with my personal values? Does it believe in inclusion? Does it believe in diversity? Does it believe in sustainable business practice? And historically kind of softer metrics or criteria versus how does the product perform? Is the price the cheapest? Is it, you know, available in every one of my markets? Like those harder criteria from the past, we're seeing a real rebalancing. And in many cases, the values alignment piece is becoming more and more important. We just published a paper on this, which I'm happy to share with any of your listeners, Superpowers 2.0. And it's talking about what are the criteria that today's buyers are looking for in B2B brands. And this whole idea of the authentic values conscious component of business is becoming increasingly important. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that previously, I don't know if companies actually expressed their values. It wasn't a factor in the decision-making process. Obviously, it's something that is a step forward in terms of society, but it's obviously something that's being driven by the change in who the decision-makers are Companies feel a need not only to express what their products are, who's working for them, but what they stand for morally and socially. And I think that's one of the biggest changes caused by the shift in decision-making power from whoever was before the millennials to millennials and then on to Gen Z. I think you're spot on. We feel very strongly about this, and this is a common conversation that we're having with many of our clients. It's not just a mobile-first decision-making process. It's not just a digital decision-making process. It's also one that's based on morals and purpose now. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Michael McLaren, the global CEO of Merkle B2B. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Michael and I are going to talk about the evolution of the B2B customer experience. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Michael, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter where his handle is Michael J. McLaren. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-J-M-C-L-A-R-E-N. Or you could visit his company's website, which is MerkleInc.com slash B2B. That's M-E-R-K-L-E-I-N-C.com slash B, the number two, the letter B. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our once a week newsletter and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production.
Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.